Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Mental health is important to all of us, but it's also something that we need to consider for vulnerable populations here in the islands. And that includes people who happen to unfortunately be homeless, but it also includes people in our prison system. And today we're going to be discussing with Bob Merce. He's a retired attorney, active in prison reform for the last 10 years. In 2015, he went to Norway to learn from a correctional system considered to be the best in the world. He's also a member of the Native Hawaiian Legal Corporation and Partners in Care, committed to ending homelessness on Oahu. And in addition, we're going to be talking with Dr. Pablo Stewart. He is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Jabsom. He is supervising psychiatric residents, and he's in the provision of psychiatric care for inmates at OCCC. And he has over 35-plus years of work as a correction psychiatrist, and he served served for several federal judges in their oversight of the state prison systems. So we are going to be talking today about the importance of working on mental health, not just for everyone in the community, but including and particularly those who happen to be involved in the correction system. Now, Bob, let's start with you. You know, prisons, jails, to me, it all seems to be the same, but there's quite a difference between those two locations. Uh, tell me more. Sure. Uh, they're often confused. People often use the terms prison and jail uh, interchangeably, but they're very, very different. I think the best way to think about it is if somebody pleads guilty to a crime or is found guilty and is sentenced to a period of incarceration of more than one year, they will serve that time in a prison. Prison is for long-term sentences, and the lowest sentence really is usually around five years, uh, all the way up to life without parole. So this, the, the long-term uh, is always served in the prison, whereas in the jail, uh, it usually is about 40% of the, or, uh, the, of the people in jail uh, are pretrial detainees, that is, people who have been arrested and accused of a crime but have not been to trial and have not been convicted of any crime. They're, they're simply because they can't make bail. Or they have committed a crime and been sentenced to less than one year, such as a misdemeanor, petty misdemeanor, or even a felony where the sentence is by the judge is less than a year. Those people are all in the jail. So the jail has a high turnover of uh, many, many people who were arrested who end up there eventually can make bail or uh, and so uh, or serve very, very short sentence, 30, 60, 90 days. So people are in and out of the jail all the time, uh, and that is the primary difference. And, but that difference is really significant in terms of the way you, we uh, operate the jails and the way we uh, take care of the people who are in them. Now, does that mean that OCCC is a prison? And jail is a different location? OCCC is the jail for Honolulu. Okay, so OCCC is the jail. It's the jail. So where's the prison? And the prison is in Halava Valley, and it's called the Halava Community Correctional Center. It's divided into two parts, a medium and a high-security facility, and they're in Halava Valley. So you said a lot of people don't know the difference, and you can put me on that list, but thank you for educating me about the difference of those two locations. Now, the recent history of OCCC, uh, currently they're under federal oversight for 
lack of adequate psychiatric care. What is what is the current state of affairs? Dr. Stewart, you've been a clinical professor in the field for many, many years, and you have decades of experience. What do you see right now? Okay, I just need to correct one thing that you said. The, the OCCC is currently not under federal supervision. Um, but the current state of affairs is that the, the care currently being provided to the inmates at OCCC does not meet constitutional standards. And that's the term that is used in prison litigation because the Eighth Amendment of the Bill of Rights says that there's no cruel and unusual punishment. And the courts have interpreted that over the years to mean that people who are in jail and prison have the right to adequate medical and psychiatric care. So based on the constitutional standard, currently, in my opinion, OCCC does not meet that. Why not? Well, first of all, the, the facility is grossly understaffed. Uh, it, it's not uncommon when I go around to the different modules where we see our patients to have the, the guard or the guards that are in the module having worked 24 or even 32 hours straight without a break because there's just not enough people. Uh, so the, the lack of staff prevents, it really carries over into affecting the ability of the facility to provide adequate care. You can't take prisoners to make medical cl- clinic visits. They're, they're locked in their cell for the majority of the time, which only worsens mental illness. And so the number one issue is staffing. Um, and then the, I think the second big issue is uh, the physical plant. It's an old facility, and it was never really designed adequately to meet the mental health and medical needs of, you know, a 1,000 people, give or take, uh, that are in there at any given time. So I think those are the staffing and the, the really poor physical plant are the two big issues. Now, you mentioned that you actually help supervise residents who provide care to the inmates. How, what is that experience like for some of the residents? These are training through JAPSM, and they are, they're actually training through the residency program. What sort, of, what sort of feedback or experiences do you get from, do you hear from them when they've had that opportunity? Oh, it's, uh, it's an eye-opener for sure. Because, uh, you know, our residents are top-notch, top of their medical school classes and top of their colleges. They're really sharp people that have little to no practical experience with the criminal justice system. And so this is, for, for pretty much everyone, it's the first time they've ever been inside a jail. <clears throat> so that's one thing. Uh, the gate closes behind you and there's guards and there's doors. You have to push buzzers to get in. Just that, that part is, is, hard, is new for them. But also trying to provide constitutional-level psychiatric care when we can only see people through a big, solid door and where there's lack of confidentiality, where the, the medication distribution system doesn't guarantee that a prescription that we write is going to end up with the prisoner who needs it. So there's... It's a big eye-opener for these residents. You mentioned trying to provide care through a solid door. I'm just trying to think of my medical office, and, and, and I'm not quite sure how that would work. 
Can you describe it a little bit? Is this a clear plexiglass? Are you able to see the other individual? What, what sort of arrangement? Well, well, first of all, the standard of care, as I'm sure you know as a physician, is to sit face-to-face with a person. You can have an open and honest conversation and a confidential conversation. That's the basis of good medical care. And at certain times at OCCC, uh, the, the prisoners are not let out of their cells. And so we're there, and it's a busy unit, and there's all kinds of noise and commotion happening. And we're standing in front of this big steel door that has a small plexiglass window on it, and we're literally shouting through the cracks of the door, asking a person how their medication is working. Are they having any side effects? Are they currently feeling suicidal? Well, that's what I mean about the residents do their best job, but just the physical plant really impairs our ability to meet the constitutional standards. I can't even imagine trying to take care of patients in that sort of environment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Pablo Stewart and with Bob Merce, both very very involved in trying to help reform what we're doing, taking care of the mental health of our prisoner population and explain the importance of why we all need to be caring and concerned about this so that we can help the population there because these are our residents right here in the islands. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Bob Merce, who's on the line. He's a retired attorney, active in prison reform for the last decade or so. And I also have Dr. Pablo Stewart. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Jabsom, and he is helping to to supervise the psychiatric residents, and he's in the provision of psychiatric care for the inmates at OCCC. Now, Bob, back in 2015, you traveled to Norway, and you were there to learn about what's considered to be the best prison system in the world. How is it different than what Dr. Stewart just mentioned might happen under certain circumstances where they're trying to see people through a steel door with a small window, yelling, trying to get information about symptoms and medication compliance or, or side effects? What, what does it look like in the best system? <laughs> well, it's radically different. Uh, Dr. Stewart was talking about the lack or the shortage of staff at OCCC. Uh, in the Norwegian correctional system and in all, the, all of their facilities, they have more staff than they have inmates. Staff outnumber inmates. Uh, each inmate has someone who they work with on a daily basis, one of the uh, correctional officers, and that officer only supervises three people or four people and is with them all the time asking them you know, whether things are working, what they need, how things are going. Uh, the, the facilities are designed uh, in, in a radically different way. Uh, each inmate has a cell, but the cell has, uh, is acoustically very, you know, very quiet. 
Um, it has a huge window looking on, out into a beautiful uh, uh, area outside with trees and grass and, and, and walking paths. Uh, it has a, each inmate has their own bathroom uh, with a shower, a toilet, uh, a, a wash basin, a flat screen TV, wooden furniture, a desk, a table, a refrigerator, and they have a key to their cell. And so when they go out each day to do, you know, to go to school or to, to learn a trade, they lock the door and and uh, and they come back. And they the whole idea is that uh, we don't want to institutionalize people. So you make life inside the prison as close as possible to life outside of the prison. And you treat the inmates with respect and trust. Uh, we, we, when we were there, the, the inmates uh, are, are sort of clustered. In, they have their cells in groups of 10. And the men in those 10 cells cook together. They have a big, beautiful room where they, in a kitchen where they cook. They buy their own food. They prepare their own food. They, they use knives. They use ceramic plates. Uh, it's it, you know it's it, it's just um, it's just totally it, people go to Norway like me and you really can't believe what you see because uh, the the system is is so humane and the focus is so much on helping people rather than punishing people and uh, and, and those are the kind of principles that we need to bring into our correctional system here to focus on rehabilitation. Uh, if somebody recidivates over there or, or is, you know, commits a new crime after they leave the uh, prison in Norway, uh, the first thing that they look to, is, the, the staff looks to, is what did we do wrong? How did we fail this person? How come we were, we, we were not able to, uh, to help them? And um, the guards are very happy with the work that they do because they know they're engaged in helping people. Um, and the inmates, uh, you know, in a, in a maximum security inmate, uh, prison, the inmates will go home oftentimes on weekends. Once they've demonstrated that they're reliable and so forth, they go home. They, they have a house where the family can come, bring the children. Uh, they, can, they can go to the house, spend the whole weekend with their family within the prison grounds. Um, it's, it's, it's just a totally different system. And it works because their recidivism rate, which means somebody commits a new crime or, or violates the terms of release and ends up back in the system, is only 20%. And over here, it's it's pushing, I think, about 60% right now in our correctional system. Uh, Dr. Stewart, could you even imagine such a system? That sounds like, the, you know, one of these private psychiatric clinics they have in New England. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine it. I mean, I, I hear what Bob is saying, and that, that would be amazing if we could provide something even close to that in our jails and prisons. And, 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 and Dr. Kozak, that's... Uh, what Dr. Stewart and I and, and others are, are working on, because uh, he talked about how terrible the uh, OCCC is and how old and outmoded it is, and, it, and that's all correct. The state has been working for the last uh, six or seven years to plan a new jail, and unfortunately we believe that the jail that they are planning will be about as inadequate as the old jail because it's based on the same punitive model. And they haven't really engaged the community and, and, and looked to um, get the views of people like Dr. Stewart in, in terms of what, what this facility should look like. And so we are working very hard to try and uh, convince the new uh, governor and the legislature uh, that the primary, we need a new paradigm for the jail, that the function of the jail should include the assessment and treatment of the physical, mental, uh, 
uh, illnesses of detainees. Um, we should provide case management services that address their social and economic issues. We need to release people with their medication, with a discharge plan, and into a home. No more releasing people into the street. We have, need better training and better conditions for the, uh, the guards who work in the system because their health is important, too. And um, we believe that there's a new paradigm out there. We're talking to the governor about it. We'll be talking to legislators about it. And we hope that the, uh, the, the new governor will uh, rethink the plans and revise the plans and build a smaller, much more humane, smarter, and more effective jail in terms of reducing recidivism, making our community safer, and at the same time improving public health. Because we know that a lot of the people who are in that jail come in with really serious chronic health problems that are usually <clears throat> not diagnosed, not treated, and they're released back into the street, uh, oftentimes homeless. And we know that, uh, and this is from Governor Green, uh, now Governor Green, that the average life of a homeless person in Hawaii is about 53 years, which is 30 years less than that of the rest of the population. Now, you mentioned that we have a lot of people with undiagnosed health problems that wind up in the jail system. Dr. Stewart, are there a lot of people with undiagnosed mental health problems that also wind up in a similar position? Yes, but see, the, the jail, though, as Bob was saying earlier, has rapid turnover. So there's, there's a lot of frequent flyers, and so we know these people. But there's also people that come into jail with no history of mental illness that because of the living conditions or because of just their, their illness is starting to blossom, we see this new onset of illness. And, and it's... it's there's three things that pretty much every inmate at OCCC suffers from is chronic medical illness, substance abuse-related issues, and serious mental illness. And, and so we're not doing anybody any favor by not providing adequate care for these people because then they end up on the street, the cops pick them up again, they'll take them over to Queens, which will add to the big backup there at Queens. And so it's, it's a, the jail system is part of the community mental health system. It should be seen that way. So if we were to think about the way things were in Norway, what's considered to be the best correctional system in the world, and we were to try and think about ways we could adopt some of those principles here in the islands, what would be some of the ways that we could help address not just the the staffing issue and the physical structure, but how else can we get to some of those three issues, the chronic medical illnesses, the substance abuse issues, and the mental illness? What could we do to help with that situation? Uh, if, if I can start out, I think when people come into the, into the jail, um, most of those people, the vast majority, over 80 percent, have committed relatively minor offenses, and they're not even you know, proven guilty yet. Um, we need to take a look at those people. We need to assess them. Uh, we assess them from a mental health point of view, from a physical health point of view, look at their economic situation, and look at their uh, social situation. We have to decide if they're, see if they're homeless or not. And we need to look at what do they need. We need to start treating them. And then we have to follow the medical model, in my view, which is uh, after you, you, you treat, you, you plan, you treat, 
uh, and, and then as, because there is a high turnover, you write up a discharge plan and you provide continuity of care. Once you've got those people on the right medication, you've diagnosed the right illnesses, you've uh, uh, hopefully located housing for them, even if it's temporary, then you need to support them when they leave so that there's continuity of care. And if we start doing that, we are going to significantly reduce the homeless population and and make our community safer at the same time because those people get the help they need. They won't commit these these crimes, and, and we'll all be better off. All right. Well, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to hear from Dr. Pablo Stewart and continue to hear from Bob Merce about ways we could improve our current management of the correctional system so that we can really address some of the health and mental health needs that are going on in our community. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking with Bob Merce. He's a retired attorney who is active in prison reform for over 10 years, and he also is partnered with Dr. Pablo Stewart, who's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Jabsom, supervising psychiatric residents, and also in the provision of psychiatric care for the inmates at OCCC. So both of my guests this evening have a very long history of trying to be active, helping to reform what's going on for not just the mental health, but the medical health and the substance abuse health of our inmate population. Right before the break, Bob, you were talking about things that we need to do, continuity of care. If we get people started on medicine, making sure that they're able to continue to to get that medication and providing some sort of housing solution, because a lot of issues that relate to being arrested and being in jail might be in the population who's homeless. So you mentioned that if we were to address it from that perspective, we might actually reduce the homeless situation here on Oahu, which I know is of prime importance to all of us, including the governor. Now, Dr. Stewart, what do you think we could do that would potentially be be something that we could move closer to this potential way to provide better care? We've We've talked a little bit about what goes wrong, what could we do to help it go right? Well, you know, I, I keep referring to the constitutional requirements, uh, but one of the constitutional requirements for people that are in custody is that go through a complete screening process to determine whether they're suffering from medical, psychiatric, substance abuse, or any other kind of conditions, and then to come up with a treatment plan and to implement the plan while they're in custody. And then the final step, as Bob is saying, is that we need to connect these people while before they get released from custody, outside resources. So this effort that we put into diagnosing and treating will continue in the community. So now when you're working with the residents that are currently rotating through OCCC, what element of that are you are you able to help them to be able to provide? Are they involved in the screening process? Are they involved in establishing treatment plans? And is that an area that you already see that they're learning and participating in? Yes. 
uh, and again, we got some really great residents, so we don't do the screening. Uh, we, we may get referred people, uh, referred uh, inmates to us to evaluate, and the, the referral might be he was seen talking to himself in his cell, you know, su- suspect that he's psychotic. And we'll go to the cell and we'll do the best that we can to assess, diagnose, and, inst- and institute a psychiatric treatment plan and follow up. We, we, we follow up people at weekly, which is, you know, much better than you can get in the community. So we, we get these guys in pretty good shape, quite frankly, and then they're released and they're sent back out to nothing. And they recidivate or they end up at the emergency room of Queens or they end up, uh, you know, committing another serious crime. It's just, it's just a mess the way the system is working right now. Dr. Kozak, if I might add, um, one of the things that we're looking at is that Queens Medical Center has a program called the Queens Care Coalition, in which they've looked at the, the needs of the high utilizers of the ER who are costing everybody, including Queens, a lot of money. And they have developed a, a program with navigators who work with these high utilizers of the ER. They, they have uh, caseworkers. They very, have very small cases, no more than 10 people. They work with people, these people who are coming out of Queens uh, ER uh, over a period of uh, just three months. But they have so few cases that they can devote a lot of time to building up a support network for these people. They will get them housing. They will get them transportation. Uh, they will get them a primary care doctor. They will get them into uh, an anger management program or whatever they need. Uh, and they will e- even go so far as to teach them how to cook if they have to. But they will really support these people for at least 90 days. And that program has been remarkably successful in reducing the, their, the, this uh, core group, uh, reducing their utilization of the ER. And I've talked to Ashley Shearer, who has uh, run to the program, and she is absolutely certain, as am I, that that program is transferable to our jail so that we could have the navigators help those people who need it coming out of the jail, and we can reduce the, their, essentially their recidivism, their utilization of the jail, uh, just like um, uh, Queens is doing for the uh, reducing the, the uh, utilization of their ER. It's a successful program, and it, it just makes a lot of sense. And Hawaii is a real innovator with that program, which is great. Well, it sounds like there's this unique overlap in some of the high utilizers who might go to the emergency room that might participate in this Queens a care coordination navigation program, and then also looking at some of the people who currently might be in the jail, they may also need to go, they may also be high utilizers of not just the jail, but also going to the emergency room, going to Queens. So it certainly sounds like there could be a really good cooperative effort with this particular aspect of trying to help improve our correctional system so that we move a little bit closer towards that continuity, towards that ideal type of arrangement that you described happens in another country that is not that far from from where we are. Uh, certainly, it sounds like it's a, it's a good hope for the future. I do appreciate hearing about how that actual aspect of care could really be translated into something right here locally at home. What would be our next step? Dr. Stewart? Do we, we need much more staff and a much better facility that's designed with adequate treatment spaces. Um, 
because right now we don't have it. Like I said, we're we're talking to people, we're shouting at people through solid doors mostly, and and that's no way to that's that's way below the standard of care. But that's what we're up against. So that would be the first thing I would want. This new jail is a good opportunity to start fresh and to do it right. Well, I have to tell you, the next time I complain that I think my job is hard, I'm just going to think about all the great work you do with the residents and how you figure out a way to take great care of individuals through very difficult circumstances. I do want to thank both Bob Merce, retired attorney, active in prison reform for over the last decade, and also Dr. Pablo Stewart, clinical professor of psychiatry at Jabsom, for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we'll see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.